All right, so we're gonna name our Texas segment by counting down one, two, three, and then at three, we will both say a word or two words about what we wanna name our segment. One, two, three, illegal. Global apartheid. Okay, Texas illegal global apartheid. Yes, I like it. All right. Okay. That's good. Okay. okay. So I guess we're going to just go ahead and get started. <clears throat> so what's your name? Who are you? <sighs> okay. So my name is uh, Marco Vinicio Galavis Luna. And let's see. I am from Los Mochis, Sinaloa. What qualifies you to trash talk immigration? So um, let's see. So I was born in Mexico in Los Mochis, Sinaloa, like I just said. And I moved to the U.S. when I was four years old. And I came here without documents. And uh, yeah, I was undocumented right up until I was 18. Um, I actually, when I became a U.S. resident, I had to take the U.S. citizen exam because I just turned 18. Mm. Uh, when I got my papers, if I was 17, I would have automatically become a citizen. But my parents waited a long time and... Mm. I had to wait another five years to become a citizen at like 23. And so I guess that kind of qualifies me because I am an immigrant and I've also been organizing uh, since I was 16. Um, I've been doing a lot of like the video, the media. Yeah. So like a lot of photography, a lot of video, especially like live streaming. Um, I used to live stream a lot of the actions that were happening. I've helped organize actions. Um, I've helped people get out of detention. I guess that's why I can like talk shit because like I'm just like, man, I forget. I know how all this works. Yeah. yeah like I know how uh, how things are thought through. Uh, and then I get easily frustrated by seeing how simplistic sometimes people think the problem is or like, you know, like the way that things get explained or the way that people think about engaging other people really frustrates me. Right. Um yeah and so that's why i'm like i'm here to talk shit i'm excited to hear so. your criticisms okay i mean and then you wanna uh oh hold on um i'm anna i meant so can you introduce yourself i'm anna <laughs> um yeah um anna and like i said i'm anna and uh what qualifies you to talk smack about immigration um, I've been working um, within the system for a really long time. I think a lot of people like to think that doing nonprofit work is like, you know, actually doing something to counteract whatever evil they're working against. But really, like the nonprofit industrial complex is just the same as a part of the, you know, machine. And so I've been doing that since I got out of college. In college, I actually. Um, got really involved in prison abolition and like what it means to live in a world without prisons and like what it means to incarcerate folks at a massive rate. And that really sort of geared me towards immigration because I'm a migrant myself. I was born in La Ciudad de Mexico. I lived for a long time in Acapulco, Guerrero, which is one of the most dangerous cities in Latin America and likely the world. I did enter with inspection when I was 15 years old. Um, I received my visa. I actually kind of got into my immigration work and the intersection with mass incarceration through art. 
I was um, doing drugs when I was in college. So I was spending a lot of time on the internet. And um, there was this video about how during the Obama administration this was happening, that they were um, injecting folks with antipsychotics whenever they were being removed. Because obviously, like, if somebody is being deported and, like, apprehended to be taken and uprooted from their whole life, they're going to have, like, mental breakdowns right then and then. But folks were being injected with this antipsychotic medicine. And so this Peruvian artist, she was reading, you know, the trade agreements between her country, Peru, and the United States while she was getting injected with this medicine. Um, and I thought it was a really powerful piece, you know, because she was also reciting the numbers of, like, deportations and removal orders. And she really framed the issue in a way that was um, very impactful for me. I'm also, you know, a lesbian. I'm an out lesbian and... Um, I think that queerness has a lot to do with, with you know, immigration and talking shit about what the system is. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So you're, like, officially, like, full-blown lesbian? Yeah. Okay, damn. Yeah, you didn't know? Yeah, I, I did not know. I think last time we were talking, this isn't going to be in the thing. Um, <laughs> but I think like last time you were talking, like you were like, you've dated men before, right? Yeah, I've dated yeah. men before. Like a lot of lesbians, so, you know, oh, okay. I think like that's a thing. <laughs> I, I don't want to like cite theory because that's yeah. boring, but like, you know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like impulsive heteronormativity, but also I come from a family, like my family right now doesn't see me as like what I am. They, they refuse to say the word lesbian. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know. I've never heard them say it. You know, they'll say things like. You know, or like, there's always some dancing around it. And I think it's the same with like incarceration and like migration, right? Like we never call it what it is. We never call it like these are climate refugees or like there's like a direct result of, you know, American imperialism, whatever you want to say. Like, I think it's taught me something about that. Right. Yeah, I think I saw a meme that said it's like, oh, you're a fan of the U.S. Name 70 countries in the global south that the U.S. has intervened in. And I'm like, damn, I can only name like three. Yeah, I guess I'm not a big, big uh, on criticizing the U.S. Yeah. Well, they say haters are fans or. <sighs> that is true. Yeah. So are we then are we fans of the U.S. and we're always hating on it? I guess so, because we're here, right? We're here. Yeah. Interesting. You ever hear that? Like when people are like, oh, if you hate the U.S. so much, why don't you just go back to your country? And it's mm-hmm. like, well, motherfucker, like the reason why I'm here is because the U.S. made my country super shitty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that like a lot of Americans don't like to admit or think about. Um, and I think also part of like key immigrant experience is to like erase that, to like be thankful right. for the U.S., to mm-hmm. be like, like I have all these opportunities that like. I didn't have in my country, but that's as far as the analysis goes. It never goes deeper. Right. It never goes into like, well, well, why don't you have those opportunities in your country? Like, God bless America because I have a job here. Who cares if I have to pay my taxes and don't get a return? Ooh. Like, right? Like, who cares if they're stealing my wages? Why are we even doing this? What are we doing, Marco? <sighs> so I think we wanted to get together and really talk smack about a lot of like the stuff that's going on in immigration um and i think that we decided that we wanted to make a trash cast slash podcast i don't know is trash cast copyrighted uh probably i don't think they'd be mad okay yeah and so because like a lot of the things that are happening are just kind of like 
Yeah. It's great that people are paying attention. Um, but people act like this is all brand new and it really kind of just like makes me really cynical. And I think I want like a space to be able to like come in and talk and like break stuff down because apparently I love to like mansplain things to people. Um, yeah, because like this has been happening under Obama, um, under Bush, Clinton, really all the way back to like the 19. 19- like 30s and 40s mm-hmm. 50s with operation wetback with a settle program like none of this is new exactly and the fact that like people are just paying attention i'm like what's up like this something something's going on um maybe maybe it's trump maybe we're starting to realize that we're all interconnected and we all need to help each other i don't know i really don't know yeah and we're also we're trained the texas refugee and immigrant network and we're based out in san antonio we have members in austin and it's mostly women-led mostly queer women-led mostly queer women-led we're all migrants or migrant adjacent in a way or another um at one point or another we all worked for a majority of us worked for like a very notorious nonprofit that allegedly reunites families, whatever that means. Um, and I think we were not only just finding out that we were interconnected, right, within ourselves and the others, but also wanting to be critical about the roles that we play into in like how we're being complicit in in that narrative that like this is something new and like we need new systems to like think around this we were all i think feeling the violence of that of like the media putting that out there of like our literal wages depending on us buying that narrative um thankfully most of us now have moved on to different you know professional roles or whatever but um i think it also came from like a a really big hunger to want to heal with each other because we recognized that we needed each other and that each other was important and like that we deserved healing and that we deserved to be critical about it. Right. And I think this is a response to the reading train was a response to the failure of nonprofits to be able to react to the actual crises that like we're dealing with, you know, like it's ironic that like a lot of our work, a lot of our wages, like you mentioned, are dependent on the fact that people are in cages, that people are being detained and that people are being deported. It's in the best interest of nonprofits to maintain the current system so that they continue to exist and continue asking for money to solve an issue that requires a different way of thinking and a different way of engaging Mm -hmm. um, with quote-unquote the problem of immigration exactly Um, yeah and so like that's just kind of yeah i think that's kind of like our response because we were like man working in these systems working in these nonprofits, like we're not we're not creating the amount of change or the type of change that we want to see if anything we're just begging for more money so that we're able to um continue doing the work yeah to like contain and manage like the emergency that is like new you know and that's like painted as like this new problem Obviously, they're never going to work themselves out of a job, but they're also never going to get comfortable enough to see within themselves and like their work why that would be important, why that that even is a possibility. Right. Because these people only know money. These people only know like security. 
And at the end of the day, like, do you think they're that what we wanted to do is not replicate the fact that they were performing like being of the community in the community, a help of some kind? Yeah, no, I agree. And it's yeah. And it's why we started train. And I think a lot of it um, for the beginning was a lot of like the self work, the healing, the coming together and realizing that um, we need each other and that we're all we got. And then moving on from that, I guess, building on on different projects. I think education is one of the biggest things that we're focused on. That's why we're doing it. We want to talk about uh, immigration. We want to talk smack. We want to be able to break shit down. And we have different segments for y'all. And hopefully y'all like them. Um, I think we're going to start with the first one. Uh, you want me to pull up the train Instagram? Pull up the train Instagram. And you can follow us. It's texas.refugees. T-X-S dot refugees. Um, on Instagram, we're all over the place we're mostly post some memes some posters art um all kinds of stuff and of course it's mostly ran ran by um not marco so there's gonna be a segment look, called look i'm not good at social media yeah, i just marco like it. does other essential things <laughs> um beautiful like talk thing. shit like talking shit um so okay so this segment is called marco mansplains memes that he's never seen on our instagram page uh you can follow us check out our account don't follow us don't be on facebook that's probably better here why don't you scroll through there okay um let's see what would classify as a meme mm. i can suggest a more recent one Okay. Oh man, this, this is, is oh man, okay, so that's a long one. Um but let's do it. Let's do it. You don't have to read it out loud. Okay, either. no, I think we have to explain the meme. Okay. So the meme is it's okay, two cue some funny music in here. Okay. So this is so it's a meme. It's two photos. It's this uh man with his hand out forwards and his mouth is in like in an O shape. And then he's explaining something, which is, I guess, perfect for the beginning of this meme. And then he says, El problema con muchos críticos del reggaeton. Oh, what? <laughs> Wait, this is a reggaeton meme? Of course I picked that for you. <laughs> <sighs> okay, let me start over. El problema con muchos críticos del reggaeton es que tiende a justificar sus juicios es Escudándose. And then you come. Oh my God. All right. Damn it. All right. (laughs) Okay. This is a meme of two pictures. It's two panels. The first panel is somebody, um, a clearly Afro Latino man, um, putting his hand out. Um, His mouth is like in a really circular shape. Like he's like saying something important. And then the second panel is him saying something very sternly. I'm going to read it in Spanish and then I'm going to do the translation. El problema con muchos críticos del reggaetón es que tienden a justificar sus juicios escudándose en una postura meramente intelectual. Si bien es cierto que este criterio es fundamental en artes como la literatura, donde el intelecto está inexorablemente ligado a la creación de una obra de valor, con excepciones encontradas en algunas vanguardias, 
Este es un criterio del cual puede prescindir la música, o de lo contrario nos veríamos obligados a renunciar a obras valiosas que al igual que el reggaetón, constan de letras y patrones rítmicos simples y rep repetitivos, como es el caso de las primeras canciones del blues o muchos otros ritmos de raíces africanas. Sí, es un hecho que desde el punto de vista intelectual hay muchas piezas musicales que son mucho más completas. Pero quienes exigen este nivel de perfeccionamiento en todas las obras pierden de vista que no se escucha el reggaetón para cultivar el intelecto, sino por la disminución de los niveles de ansiedad y depresión que trae consigo el primitivo, pero bello acto de perrear. Ok, so... I think that the reason that you chose this meme to share it on our immigration-related page is because we've had this long debate within the group, and it's not really a debate. It's just me against all of So you think it's about you? Yes. So it is about me, I think, uh, because I'm always talking shit about reggaeton and how it's like, it's okay, you know? Like, it's fine. Um, I don't think it's like the world's most groundbreaking music. Um, I understand that it's very popular, uh, but it's 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 fine. You know, you can engage it. And I think what this meme is trying to do is trying to intellectualize reggaeton uh, in a very sarcastic manner by like using very like dead and buzz words throw mm -hmm. all over it, basically. Because if I was to rewrite this meme, all I would say would be like half. It would be like the last sentence of the first panel and then the last sentence of the second panel. Basically being reggaeton is a genre of music people like, like the blues, you know, and then you're not here to, you know, make it anything more than what it is, which is music to make you feel good. I think that's what this meme is about. I think we our internal debate uh, about whether or not reggaeton is an art form. Uh, I will always end up losing that one because art is subjective. I feel like a lot of people listen to reggaeton and I, they will eat me alive if I talk any more shit. No, I think I think you listen to reggaeton. I think sadly a lot of people will think that Residentes Atrevetete is like one of the things that like put it on the general audience, you know, like about like what reggaeton means and like shaking your hips and like doing sexy dancing and like showing your pompitas, right? Not everything's about you. We posted that because we thought it was funny. We posted that on our immigration of course. Um, Instagram because a lot of folks wanna, you know be academic about it when there's no need so yeah sure you can talk all these academic words and you can still say reggaeton is cool because reggaeton is like not an art form reggaeton is a way to like get in touch with like movement in your body and like feel yourself and in ways that are both familiar and new right because it's like it's nothing like you said innovative But it is innovative or else it wouldn't be on the charts or else like a bunch of white men like J Balvin and Maluma and Bad Bunny, specifically Bad Bunny and J Balvin, you know, or else it wouldn't be something that is so easily colonized, like and that it that people right now more than ever in white men are, are jumping to to own. Right. Damn. All right. So then this other meme. Um I'm going to explain it. So it's Kirby with his professor stick, and he's pointing at a slide. Uh, for all of y'all who don't know Kirby is, he's like a pink blob that was invented by Nintendo, and their ability It's is It's not to, a Pokemon? No. 
It is its own separate thing. <laughs> I thought Kirby was a Pokemon. Uh, no, it is its own video game. Um, so I am mansplaining to you right now, Kirby. Um, and so anyways, Kirby's uh, special ability is to suck things up and turn into them. Kind of like a doppelganger. Um, so anyways, but in this slide, in this photo, he's actually teaching. And then he's pointing at like a, I'm going to guess a tire, a valve stem. That's what it is. And it's pointing uh, at it, and it has these things to basically cut it. And the text is, an example of how to materially disrupt ice operations. Cut the valve stem by at apartense vacas. Apartense vacas. And so basically what I'm trying, what I'm getting from this meme is that whenever you see an ice truck, you should do like Kirby and cut the valve stem so that ice does needs to replace their tire and it costs them like a hundred bucks and it like ruins an ice agent's day um we're not saying to commit any illegal activities on this podcast but that's what the meme is i right, think right that's the meme is for sure you you got that right okay. Woo! i think the one thing you said though is that like whenever you see this do this and i think a lot of the education that we try to put forward is like let's say this ice fan is in the middle of like the east side right and like these are communities that are at risk uh not just of deportation and like um immigration enforcement right but also of like normal state police not normal because they're you know uh brain degenerative disease of the united states but like they're at risk right at the police so if that happens then that means more like if you're a black person that goes out there and tries to be an ally and cuts the valve in this community then what is going to happen like more police presence is going to come it's going to ensure that ice is around longer it's going to ensure that like that place becomes a focal point for things right so what we definitely didn't say in the caption but should be said out loud always only white people should do those that are citizens and that are not marginalized, but also that this can't like you need to have some nuance. And in order to do this kind of action, in order to put that forth, you need to have some context. And you need to have some. So we're asking nuance. our white allies to do this. Then We're not asking them. Oh, suggesting. Consider. We're throwing this out there. We're throwing it out. there. OK. All right. Um, OK. And then this other meme. Uh, that we posted is a button and there is a woman with a bandana on her face and she's holding what looks like a Molotov cocktail with the words a ella le gusta la gasolina which is a reference to reggaeton to Daddy Yankee's song Gasolina. Legendary. It is a legendary song um, and I think that this is actually a great use of reggaeton in a meme and in a way that actually like inspires and connects beyond the original intent of the artist mm -hmm. so i think it was taking out of context but because it has a uh, point of reference that is so universally loved and recognized it makes sense mm -hmm. and um it might inspire you to kind of act like this lady i think which is grab a molotov cocktail and burn things
that segment that we don't yet have a name for. I thought we named it. Oh, no, we came up with it. Yeah. Correct. Texas Illegal. Global Apartheid. Global Apartheid, Okay, yes. one, two, three. Texas, Texas Illegal Global, Global Apartheid. apartheid. <laughs> Did you say apartheid? Yeah. Like, apartheid? Like, is that on purpose? Is like, that how you not, you don't pronounce it that way? I think it's apartheid. All right. But, but I like apartheid because that's that's what you're doing. You're separating apart. You know, you you're apart it. and then you hide. Yeah. Well, that wasn't on purpose. Okay. I So most of the English I've learned has been through reading. Um, and there's been many times that I say, I say, I say, that I say things out loud and turns out they're pronounced differently. Right. So, you're ESL. Yeah. I'm ESL. I'm ESL too. There yeah, you go, so buddy. So okay. Yeah. So what the hell is going on in Texas right now? Oh, man. That's a tough... Well, it's not that tough, actually. Um, okay. So what's going on in Texas is that, first of all, Texas is the only state in the country to ever be its own country. That's um, right. If you deny uh, the First Nations. But we don't like talking about that. Well, the U.S. counts on that, right? Um, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So and we U- don't shy away from talking about that. Right, right, right. Um, okay, so what else is happening in Texas? So Texas is a border state, and right now um, people who are coming from Central America are showing up in the border like they can. What I want to talk about first is kind of this concept of family separation and what family separation is and what is happening and what has happened um and from what i can understand um it is it is like it's a very hot topic right now people are talking about it all these celebrities are talking about it government's talking about it everybody's talking about it everybody's raising money about it Mm -hmm. donating about it people are profiting off of this crisis um both in terms of cultural capital and also like financial actual capital and career development as well right Mm -hmm. yeah there's a lot of people making money and not just the government um so yes so i mean we both work for a nonprofit that like dealt with immigration um actually currently both still do uh work on nonprofits but um and so the way that we saw family separation happen um under the obama administration is kind of different than the family separation that we're seeing today um the family separation that we saw under the obama administration was a lot of fathers being separated from uh their wives and their children so whenever a family unit would show up or a family a family family, unit is what the government calls it yeah yeah that's what they call it what they consider a family unit largely is a biological parent and a minor child. So they, they have to be under 18. Okay. So it's 18. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. And so basically... Well, it's 21, but certain things happen when you're 18 to 21. Right. Um, so the families would show up to the border. The father would get separated, sent to an adult detention center. And then the mom, if they had kids who were under the age of 18, would be sent to uh, Dilly detention center and the cards detention center which are both in texas which are the two largest family detention centers in texas and then there's one in in pennsylvania in berks berks county berks was mostly used for dads um and then carnes and dilly were historically moms 
with either one or two children um mostly there were some families that were like up to four children um i did actually meet and i'm very close to a family that was detained with the it was a mom with her three kids one of her old her oldest kid was 20 and she had her daughter so it was three generations of them that were detained at the same time um yeah and, and the youngest one in the family unit um actually turned five when she was in detention and the way that she was so aware of like turning like having a birthday in detention um it, that made a really big impact for me because like I entered with inspection, right? Like I didn't cross the border. I didn't claim asylum. Um, I flew in on an airplane. And yet, like, I'm so separated from my family in a way that's like, if my grandma dies, I can't go visit. If my tia gets sick, I can't go visit. You know, if somebody has a baby and there's been plenty of birds, like I can't go. I can't go and like that separation it doesn't even have to be like a major thing like that right like it doesn't even have to be a death or a birth or a wedding it's just every day hey i love you you want to come over for dinner when we talk about family separation it's good to know that it happens on like many different levels and i think that because last year we saw family separation be at a very like direct level um like like literally like a parent from a child we started calling that family separation. And I think a lot of the stuff that you're bringing up gets lost in that conversation. And so I want to bring it back kind of like, okay, so the family would show up, they would claim they were looking for asylum. Father gets separated. Mother and child get sent to Dilly and Carnes. If there was an adult child, they would also be sent to adult detention. Um, so they would also be separated. Mm -hmm. Um, we would also see a lot of grandparents with their grandkids. So they would show up, claim asylum. The grandma um, would be sent to adult detention. Um, and then the child would be sent to basically a children's shelter that's managed not under ICE or DHS. Or is it DHS? It's a contract with DHS or it's kind of its own thing. Okay. So the Office of Refugee, Refugee Resettlement. Resettlement. Yeah, it's a different office. They're not supposed to be prisons but well a lot of the contracts for these like children facilities are in fact modeled after like correctional facilities and they are ran by people that were previously serving as social workers or um, corrections officers in jails either state federal or migrant prisons so sometimes like that's family separation like like older siblings being separated from like younger siblings um so like that sibling was over 18 and then their younger sibling was like say 10 they would get separated and sent, like, one of them would be sent to the adult detention, or and then the minor would be sent to minor detention, I guess, or minor jail, baby jail. Also, another thing that would happen inside these detention centers, if you were 17, you would be sent to, uh, I guess, like, a minor facility. But then on your 18th birthday, you were moved to, like, adult detention and then immediately processed for deportation. Mm -hmm. um, so the federal government would just move to deport you, but that's another. And, and that's always been standard practice. That's standard practice even today, whether you were separated from your family or not. The way that I saw family detention happen was actually in the detention center I was servicing in the Carnes Family Detention Center. The actual name of the facility is the Residential Center, which is 
you know, again, like propaganda and like dancing around a word, like kind of what my family does, not calling me a lesbian. It's like, it's a residential center. You know, it's, it's not a... It's not a it's not a place where you can work for three dollars an hour and like feed your family and be thankful, you know, that you're not sleeping on the streets or something like that. Right. It's not a prison. It's, it's a, a residential center. Correct. Yeah. Um, but, you know, deporting people has always been the the first step while you enter the United States, even if you claim fear of going back to your country and they put you through these like you have to jump so many hoops and do so many mental gymnastics to really understand like the process so Carnes was opened as a detention center for family units which like i said historically has meant a biological parent and a minor child and if you are not able to prove biological or like adoption um, status then they will separate you so we did see a lot of um, a lot of families that were separated from their husband, and their husband would be in adult detention. So it was mostly women. It was women-led families, and so when zero tolerance came up, that's when family detention became part of like the national, um, you know, discourse and the national sort of consciousness. When zero tolerance happened. Carnes was emptied out for a second it became only single women uh, which means that geo the corrections company that runs the detention center still needed to make their money and it became sort of a transition period into dad-led families father-led families what father-led families meant was that it would only be family units of one parent, one male parent, and one male child. And what this did was that all of the regulations that were in place with the women, for example, you couldn't have 14-year-old male child house with a 5-year-old female child all of those like regulations were out the door because now you only had males. And for some reason that meant that like, it's not for some reason, but now that you have these strict regulations on like, it's only one parent, one child, and they're both males, then you can fill it up to the brim. And they really did that. Um, in the Carnes Detention Center, families were reunited there and neither the parents nor the children knew that they were going to be transfer there to be reunited with their children they just knew that they had signed up paper so you went so basically when you're saying that we were asking for families to be reunited we were asking for them to be reunited inside a detention center it depends or is that was that like was that like a like an effect of our asking as a nation for them to be reunited because yeah absolutely it was an effect because i don't think that people think about the fact that the United States does keep, keep people in detention because of some criminal immigration violation, right? So the parents that were reunited in detention with their children was because they weren't deemed to be fit for release, whatever that meant, right? At least 10 of these parents were re-separated, actually, while they were in detention. There was a riot in the detention center where, you know, many police officers, DHS, local state police, um, and a bunch of other guards were full of riot gear, and they just abducted, aka arrested the dads, and they moved them to Pearsall Detention Center, which is notorious for human rights abuses also. And they moved them there, and, like, 
a lot so i'm not even trying to like revive this trauma right like it i don't think it matters to people if, if people were reseparated or not i mean of course it matters to them but what really matters is the fact that the government forces upon us to put more play to put more value on like their idea of what a family means which is like traditionally blood related and it has to be your mom or your dad right like that's it all of these notions of like being raised by a village are thrown out the window like our ideas of like whose family like I'm not trying to over-exaggerate like how much I can count on train or like my fellow members, but you know what we think about support and how to move forward with our lives like is not at all considered. And the violence that that it puts on us and our families and like our communities is so beyond zero tolerance. But zero tolerance was a specifically brutal policy that just abducted children right it was like an exaggeration of the law Mm -hmm. essentially like it was like oh the government can do this so we're going to do this kind of makes me think of the 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 people in sanctuary who are getting the fines that are like seven hundred thousand dollars that they need to pay Mm -hmm. which is like an arbitrary law from the 1960s that has almost never been enforced but the trump administration is like oh hey let's do it that's where we're at with this current administration and I think that's where it differs, you know, like Obama tried being hard on immigration uh, by like rounding people up a lot of their interior enforcement and deporting more people than anybody. Literally, like he's he like Trump has not deported as much people as Obama was deporting mm-hmm. at the time of his presidency. Right, because like he had to play the black card, you know, he had to play the white card as well. He had to be, I'm going to be really tough on getting people out of there, but I'm not going to imprison them, you Mm. know? I'm not going to force them to do convict labor. Right. And those are like two different things. Like, not because Trump isn't deporting as many people means the violence is the same. It's different. It actually is sort of like in the same vein. Like you said, it's like an over, it's a deep dive into that violence. Right, yeah. I think like that's that's the difference. And I think that's something that we don't, I guess, well, no, we do talk about it. But another thing that I do want to like talk about is kind of like what is keeping, basically like what is keeping families like separated? What's keeping families in jail? Um, and what's keeping them out so i'm thinking like the flores settlement i'm thinking like all this stuff that i know very little about which do you do you know more about this stuff you know this was your like bread and butter i was in the background just taking photos of like crying refugee babies right yeah which is important i think you know you weren't only taking trauma porn pictures you weren't like you were also i appreciate doing, that you know work around you know, really making it look like a movement because it's what it is. And you were documenting sort of like, I, there's this really beautiful picture I remember that you took, which is like a woman in a really beautiful dress, you know, it's kind of revealing and she's wearing her ankle monitor. It was probably you or or a good friend. Um, No, I took that photo. Okay. So it's this woman and, and she's also wearing an ankle bracelet. You know, and she's like, this is me. Like, and it's not like, oh, this is me, like, chained to this, like, e-surveillance, you know? And, like, oh, it's just, like, so sad. It was like, 
I'm still feeling sexy and I still can look good and I can still carry this thing that like is state imposed this violence and like I can move beyond that or I can move with this and I'm gonna I'm still imagining myself without it and that's I think something that matters to get back to what you said about like talking about the Florida settlement and why families are still you know in jail I think we'd have to do like a whole different segment about it because it deserves a lot of attention it would bring up a lot of stuff good maybe in the next episode maybe yeah. the next episode i think so where are we at right now we're at um you know talking about the failure of the obama administration whack terrible now i think something that's happening now that is very much about uh family separation is migrant persecution protocols um officially named by the trump administration migrant protection protocols which is misnomer you know, a, a terrible brainwash. Um, but over 10,000 people have been returned to Mexico to wait for their asylum hearings. And it just really means that they're taking them hostage now in Mexico, right? I have firsthand knowledge of a woman that was waiting in Mexico for her asylum hearing in the U.S. And because she didn't have her papers on her, meaning a humanitarian visa that Mexico is supposed to provide, she was deported back to her country in Central America where she's fleeing from violence and you know just where she's fleeing from we don't even have to get explanations well i mean i think we do have to kind of talk about how showing up to the u.s and asking for asylum is not a crime nor illegal like i think that's something that a lot of people tend to like forget mm -hmm. that like we have agreements that we have laws that congress passed that state that if you are a person and it's fucked up um, that if you're a person from a country that doesn't border the U.S., so meaning if you're not Canadian or more importantly, if you're not Mexican, um, you have the right to come in and ask for asylum um, as long as you present yourself and you turn yourself in to, to the authorities. I do want to talk a little bit about like that whole Canadian and Mexican thing that was passed under NAFTA, I think, mm -hmm. I believe part of that meant or it could have been a different different law i mean but, nafta did change everything yeah but i think i think there's a law that states that if you're like mexican you can't ask for asylum or it's increasingly more difficult it's more difficult yeah. so there is an international agreement you know sort of through the un and the other violent profit-driven organizations um that does say like it, you can even be mexican but if you're mexican or canadian it means that like the standards are raised a little bit you do have to show up at a port of entry but even if you enter without inspection and you're apprehended at the border or inside of the u.s and you claim asylum you claim fear to go back to your country you legally have the right to seek um asylum protections and so a lot of people don't understand that this isn't happening, that these rights aren't being like, these rights are violated at the beginning of the border. People go in and say, I want to ask for asylum, and they're put on a list. It's called a list. That's what people call it at the border. It's a metering, right? It's That's, called metering. Yeah. So it means that they're only letting whatever number that they choose that day, um, um, they're letting whatever number of people ask for asylum that day or come through actual, the actual port of entry. Um, if people are being returned to Mexico, if you ask for asylum one day and then you're processed in the U.S., you spend seven days in the Perrera, um, 
and then you're being sent back. And then for like a stretch of 10 days, no one is allowed in the port of entry. People are effectively being held hostage in Mexico, asylum seekers specifically. And that is one of the things that like nobody's talking about how Central Americans are a huge risk at Mexico. If the United States is virulent against migrants, if the United States jails are violent, Mexico is probably 10 times worse right. because we learned so much from the empire because U.S. empire has such a big hold on us. And because there's also no infrastructure for um, safety and like seeking folks. Yeah. Like, I think, like, it's, yeah, the MPP, the Mexican, what do you call it? We call it the Mexican Persecution Protocols. Okay, yeah, like, that stuff is... No. I mean, it got... It, technically, the courts already said that was illegal. Migrant Persecution Protocols. Oh, not the Mexican Persecution. I mean... I said Mexican because the <laughs> hegemony is, is real. No, yeah. but also, but also, like, you know, Mexicans are persecuted. Yeah. yeah, no, but this is actually mostly Central Americans. So it is Central Americans. And then I think we were going to talk a little bit about, like, the term concentration camps and, like, what's happening with, like, children specifically or just in general. In general? Okay, you're shaking your head. Yeah, um, I think mostly in general. So, like, we've been talking about language, right? Right. What we call family separation under Obama, what we call family separation under Trump, what we call migrant persecution protocols that are actually just, like, you know, global apartheid. So again, concentration caps, this has been resurfacing on the internet mostly. When did you first see that? When I think, what was her name? AOC was trying to like go visit them and stuff. I think it's a very interesting term. And apparently a lot of people agree that detention centers are concentration camps because we hold large amounts of people in them and then sometimes make them work for like a dollar a day, um, which is Technically, uh, you are paying them, so I guess, and technically you don't have to do it, although there have been reports of people saying that if they deny working, they get some sort of punishment. Yes, they are probably concentration camps, but I mean, they're not in the sense of like, you know, like Germany's concentration camps, but I think like we've had something similar here in the US, you know, when we had Japanese internment, you know, those were also camps where people were being held. And they weren't being murdered, but they were definitely being held and being forced to work. And their land was literally taken from them. Their businesses were taken from them and their labor was being exploited. So I think like if we consider those concentration camps, we can consider these concentration camps. The way I see it, it's one of the initial iterations of concentration camps. They're not going out of their way to use physical violence with their guns onto the migrants that they're supposedly like responsible for but if you neglect folks for their diseases whether it's like mental health whether it's like you know aids related if you choose to ignore them in a systematic way that so many people are dying in detention that's a concentration camp right like murder is actually happening almost every day even if it doesn't result in a death today it's happening every day but like i have firsthand knowledge of people being released because they were in such critical conditions children included i knew of a mom that was 
detained with a child that was blind and he had um, a problem in his kidneys that wasn't allowing him to... It was a problem in his kidneys. And this mom was released within 24 hours with her blind child to beg in the streets for medical care. When I met this mom, she told me that I was the first person that spoke Spanish to her in a way that she understood, in a way that like was caring. And that I actually paid attention to her child like she was like a real human person. And that has a lot to do with why we detain children and why we don't think of children detention as like other things, right? Like, why are they concentration camps? Children aren't made to work for $3 an hour, but they are neglected. So much so that like we think that getting them soap is good enough. Right. That like we think that a fostering like system, like a foster care system like the U.S. would be enough when it isn't, you know, foster care in the U.S., the way that it works with you as citizen children is trash and it puts people in danger. People, you know, because that's what children are. They're people. And like there's this like disease, not just in the U.S., but everywhere that the patriarchy is so ingrained in us that like children are human beings that because they're not adults they're not people that deserve to be treated with everything that we give each other as adults right respect understanding patience yeah and so i think like for me it it gets a little like hard because a lot of these children come to the u.s and they don't have anybody they're like minors and they get caught or they turn themselves in and so then they're detained by the Office of Refugee Resettlement, um, which is not under ICE or under DHS or the Department of Homeland Security. But um, yeah, and these basically uh, camps with a bunch of children on them are being held while they get reunited with a family member in the U.S. Or if they don't have a family member, they're just kind of indefinitely in the government's custody until they either turn 18 or they get some sort of relief but i think it's until they turn 18 Mm -hmm. and a lot of these facilities a lot of these shelters are being run by corrections facilities or jail companies essentially so they model a lot of like their work like prisons and that's fucked up and that's the part that i'm just like man like we invest so much money in so many other things, you know, like war, tax cuts on the rich. Um, fighting obesity. Yeah, fighting obesity. Really? Is that- yeah, like that's a real problem. Yeah, well. I think that's I mean- what like Michelle Obama did. It's like first lady. <laughs> yeah, so, no, but I mean like actual money, like like dollars, like money being spent. Yeah, like it's being funneled into so many other places and for you to say that like you can't provide children decent home and decent facilities and decent care it's just baffling yeah but i mean like i feel like as a country we underinvest in education of like black and brown babies um of poor babies mm-hmm. so it only makes sense that these quote-unquote foreign babies are also treated you know like also yeah exactly because like children that are born citizens that are like poor like children are dying in flint michigan like this is literally happening yeah and nobody gives a fuck 
because you you know like when you say I I work in immigration right you work in a nonprofit I work in a nonprofit we hear a lot of white folks talk about how children are receiving this violent like this is the most like infuriating thing we have to do we have to capture the moment and it's like we should have never let it get to children we should have protected the children in the first place because if you're in solidarity with their families i'm not saying parents with their families right whomever that is if you're in solidarity with them if you're in cahoots with them to fucking fuck up the empire and like the violence is being infringed against them, then you're protecting the children. But you weren't do doing that to begin with. Nope. You weren't even doing that with your own kids in your own territories. It right. all starts there with listening to the youth. Right. And th- and this is not to say like, oh, we need to take care of American babies first mm-hmm. and then foreign mm-hmm. babies later. But it's just like take care of all babies all the mm-hmm. time. And I like using the term babies because like a lot of the time whenever we see like black and like brown bodies especially like teenagers we tend to think that they're adults mm-hmm. and we tend to forget that like a 15 year old and a 16 year old hell a 17 year old 18 year old you know like they haven't fully grown up they haven't fully like developed um like literally their brain is still growing mm-hmm. um they're still learning about the world um but there's so much fear of like young black and brown bodies um yeah and so like i think like that's kind of like the stuff that always fucks me up that, it like, isn't even bodies right it's like the spirit the literal spirit of like black and brown babies is dangerous to the state like letting the youth of color think for themselves and be protected and be supported is dangerous to the hegemony of the united states it's dangerous to like military oppression it's dangerous to the patriarchy whatever you want to say like classism racism all of those things like even carnism okay like i'll say it like it it has to do with like thinking about children children are the first one what's carnism carnism never heard of it because you're not gay enough carnism like um the way that like everything points it that like eating animals is okay and normal oh so like you mean like vegetarianism and veganism no i'm saying carnism is like fucked up and it's like instilled in people and like like children are the first one that are like i love my puppy so much why would i eat a piggy right like they're the ones that really are thinking through things that we've been blocked mentally to connect with um i don't want to talk about that but okay yeah i'm just like man this is this is for like your vegan podcast. Yeah. No, it's not for the vegan podcast, right? <laughs> no. Like we have to think about It's all about interconnected. How... Those are concentration camps. Right. The right. way that like fam- we treat animals. The way that we treat animals, like mm-hmm. families are separated from like like cow families, like pig families. That's also true, you know. Children and babies are the ones that are making those connections that are reminding us of how we also learn those lessons. And we're quickly just like made to shut that down within our spirits so that's Um, what i'm saying like oh man if you want to do like uh, an entire like food factory farming podcast i am so down yeah we should bring in an expert i'm a fake vegetarian yeah i am not a vegetarian um but i tend i try to eat all of the animal and honor its death 
So you're making a face because you know it's hypocritical. It is very hypocritical. Like yeah. I could very easily say, "Oh, I love eating cecina because it reminds me of my homeland. Right. It reminds me of my grandma's like hey, puerquasado. Like, look, it's where food I'm at. Is sacred, and I know that's where I'm at too. That's where I'm at. But that's what I'm saying. We can support our babies. Right. We all got loans to learn. Do we have anything else? Do we want to say goodbye? Do we want to say an outro? Just want to say I love you. Ooh, I love you too, Anna. Or were you saying that to the listeners, hypothetical listeners? You're listening, and whomever's listening. Oh, I love you too. We love you. We love your kids. We love all of y'all. This is why we do the work that we do, so that the next generation of babies don't have it as hard as we do. And also so that we're good elders, huh? Yeah, I don't want to be an asshole. <laughs> At least not my entire life. Yeah. I don't want to be in jail. <laughs> yeah. Don't out me yeah. for overstaying my visa, okay? Damn. I mean, wait, so I can't. So you want me to cut that out? Reminder to... I just said my name is Anna. Oh, that's right. That's right. All right, pues. And I over here gave my full name. God damn it. My name is Marco Tight Pants. Damn it. All right. Cool. Because um, you're a citizen. So you got that no is fear. right. That's right. I can't get deported. Um... <laughs> So anyways, thank you for listening uh, to us ramble for a good hour. Um, Catch you next time. Uh-huh. We're going to invite, hopefully, some allies who are literally using their bodies to get people papers. Uh, or also who have worked with uh, Babies in Detention and other trained folks who are doing amazing work in their lives. Hell yeah. And if you want to be part of these conversations, let us know. Again, our Instagram is Texas Refugees, TXS Refugees. All right. So thank you once again and catch you on the next one. <laughs>